Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's June 12, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by Jonathan V. Last and Jim Swift of the Weekly Standard. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Is it a good morning, Charlie? Well, it, it is here. See, I'm, I'm actually here overlooking San Francisco Bay. And trust me, it's, it is a beautiful morning in California. But once again, we're separated by three time zones and, and our surreal reality. Well, JBL is pissed that he was stuck in the traffic from the, all of the people coming in for the uh, Washington Capitals parade. Three hours it took me to get to my office this morning for hockey. You didn't go to the parade. About, to, to paraphrase you know, Alan Iverson, you're not we're talking about parade hockey. like that. You're going to have to wait until the military parade. It's you might as well go. <laughs> horrifying. It only took but, yeah. 10 minutes longer for me, but then again, I, I live half an hour closer to Jonathan, and you know, Washington traffic's going to do that to you when you have to get on 95. All right. I, I used the word surreal already once today, so I've used up my, my quota. But, uh, you know, the, I want to get to the, the Dennis Rodman presidency in just a moment. Just sitting back, reflecting here, looking at the palm trees, thinking, you know, in, in the last week, the influence of Kim Kardashian and Dennis Rodman on the, the president of the United States. It's like, are we in some sort of alternative reality? Of course, the answer is yes. Before we do, though, I, I have to just I have to just talk about something that I'm a little obsessed with because it is so bizarre. Uh, yeah, everybody knows, you know who George Conway is, right? And this is, of course, not, you know, he's, he's a very, very prominent lawyer. He's a conservative lawyer who's married to Kellyanne Conway, very respected in, in, in legal circles. And he's kind of made a little bit of a kerfuffle by tweeting out things that have been critical of the president. People are wondering, like, whoa, what's going on with that? Uh, you know, it's, you know, a little, little bit of tension. But he did something yesterday that's really extraordinary. Uh, he, he wrote a piece for Lawfare Blog, and this is, uh, this is the, the blog that's run by uh, Ben Wittes and others. The terrible arguments against the constitutionality of the Mueller investigation – and you, you might remember, by the way, that, that Conway, for a while, looked like he was going to take the top civil rights job in the Justice Department. So he almost, he almost got sucked into MAGA world, but he's been, been pushing back. Well, what he's done here has been not just to – and everybody's going to focus on the Kellyanne Conway aspect of it. But he's really also taking on the Federalist Society. I mean, the Federalist Society, of course, you know, have had a great run. Uh, you know, Leonard Leo and, and, and company have done a fantastic job in getting conservative judges, you know, nominated and approved, you know, under the Trump administration. Uh, but they also featured a uh, rather sketchy piece by uh, uh, longtime legal guru uh, Stephen Calabresi, wrote it up in the Wall Street Journal and then later uh, expanded on it, essentially arguing that that. Mueller's entire investigation was unconstitutional, and I'm not going to go through it, but, but Donald Trump, of course, then picked up on it and, you know, actually tweeted out uh, on June 4th, you know, the appointment of the special counsel is totally unconstitutional, all caps, exclamation point. Despite that, we play the game because I, unlike the Democrats, have done nothing wrong. Well, now, Conway, George Conway has written this rather scathing piece dismantling and deconstructing that whole argument. And, you know, by doing that, I mean, he's he's firing a shot across the bow of uh, of the Federalist Society and uh, and, uh, you know, others on in, in, in MAGA world who were were floating this idea out. But I'm not going to go into it in great detail, except to say that uh, George Conway absolutely destroys the argument. And in fact, it's so bad that if you were the if you were on the incoming um, element of this, you would you would want to like just cringe. OK, gentlemen, let's talk about what happened in North Korea. 
Um, you know, let, let's start with, you know, the, 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 the summit that didn't turn out to be about really about anything. But let's just start off with, you know, just to give give credit where credit is due. Let's talk about the good. We'll, we'll, we'll get to the, the disappointing stuff in, in a moment. But just give me your, your, your take. You know, at least we are not where we were several months ago where – People woke up thinking, are we going to have a thermonuclear war? Is this thing going to get out of hand? And so at least is it, is it reasonable to say that, you know, it, it may have been much ado about nothing, um, a lot of hype. But on the other hand, um, it's not a terrible thing that we have backed away from the brink of what could have been a nuclear confrontation with a crackpot. This is the, the Pollyanna motto of the Trump presidency. It could have been worse. I'm, I'm reaching for whatever I can get here, man. No, I mean, I so we we ping pong from the oh gosh, we're going to start a war by accident to oh gosh, they're going to get in a room and he's going to give away the farm, and right. neither of those things happened, right? And so, by the standards of the world we live in, that's a success. Hey, I'm Ron Burgundy, and there are great photos. <laughs> this is, I mean, you know, so the only the only downside really is that he gave away, we don't get anything back. There will be no denuclearization. Uh, he gave away war games with our South Korean allies. Which he called war games, which was weird. And but, uh, he... Shall we play a game? S- and he gave total legitimacy uh, and aid and comfort to a murderous dictator who has created one of the worst most oppressive and horrific regimes that the world has ever seen. And uh, but in the immortal hand words of Pat Paulson, picky, picky, picky. Yeah. So other than that, no, and I'm, but I'm, I mean, I'm not actually trying to be a smartass here. Uh, other than that, which I think we should have priced into this going in, right? I mean, if you just listened to the way he talked about Vladimir Putin for the last two years, you would have automatically assumed and have baked into the, the, the price of this that he was going to talk that way about Kim once they were sitting down together. And that's what you got. You got things like, you know, well, he's very talented. Anyone who takes over a situation like he did at 26 years of age and is able to run it and run it tough, uh, you know, it's rough. It's rough in a lot of places, by the way, not just there. Yeah, you know, <laughs> he's just, his country does love him. His people, you see the fervor. They have a great fervor. So other than that, which, you know, I'm waiting to hear the, the Trumpkins defend and... Tell okay, about how I, great I, it I'm, is. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm, I mean, <laughs> look, it ain't Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall, right? I, I am. I, I am looking for the, 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 the positive element to this. You know, at, at least for example, he did not give away the store. There was not some moment where he said, "Okay, you know what, Kim, um, I'm going to withdraw all of our troops, or I'm going to do something." And, and because this is a president who is capable in a meeting. Of making statements that that you know he may never follow through on, but but in in the moment he might be moved to do, and at least that didn't happen. Right. Are we at all? Yeah. No. Would, with that? would you agree, Jim? Yeah. Like, well, we you know, he didn't give away anything important. To, yeah. Uh, other than military exercises. Yeah. Which on. which you know, given kind of how tempestuous he is, he, we may restart them, and then people will then argue, oh, this is just a precursor war. I forget who said this on on Twitter. It wasn't particularly. Um, it was. I thought it was insightful, but not necessarily uh, so original. Otherwise, uh, I, I would have, you know, made a note and remembered it. There are basically four ways that you people can view the the deal. There are people who uh, criticized Obama and are now praising Trump. People who praised Obama and criticized Trump 
There are people who thought both <laughs> deals were a good idea or do, both meetings like in Cuba were a good idea. And there are people who thought both were bad. And it's funny to see, I think, a lot of people on the right. Sorry, could you repeat that? I, I, was, I was taking notes. and I, <laughs> I, 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 Is there going to be a test on this later? No, it's, um, it's like an SAT question. Okay. Good, oh, okay. bad, bad, good. Okay. Both no. bad, both good. You know, I can't speak for everyone with the Weekly Standard. I think most people are sort of in the bad or, skept- or both skeptical, you know, camp at the worst. But it's fun to see folks on the right who are now the the, big, the biggest, you know, boosters of Trump. Where were they? Oh, well, you know, this this is just what, you know, they voted for when they voted for Trump. They didn't trust yeah, that, Obama. That is that is extraordinary. You, you try to we try to imagine this game we play um, of Barack Obama posing for those pictures or doing this or coming out with so little. Um, I think a lot of folks on the on the right would have had their hair on on the fire. Indeed, uh, where I, were I, they? I, I mean, look, I'm glad that we're we're not at fire and fury anymore. I'm I'm am okay with that. On the other hand, I have to say that there was a moment yesterday when Kim was walking around Singapore and people were cheering him like he was some sort of a freaking rock star. Uh, this uh, this celebrity, and I'm thinking this is one of the world's greatest monsters, and Donald Trump has done this. He has normalized he has he has elevated this guy onto the na- onto the, onto the world platform as some sort of a rock star and you know that in itself is a massive victory for the north koreans and you 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 look at this and you go you'll think about what we get versus what they get the the legitimacy the the staging of of the flags which had to be just incredibly gratifying for Kim and Kim gives up absolutely nothing. I'm going through this uh, this sort of non-announcement announcement. The president, of course, uh, you know he was going to come out and hype this thing. But I mean, really, I mean, you you have no no freezing of plutonium or uranium. He's not talking about destroying the ICBMs. There's no inspectors. There's no you know really comprehensive declaration of denuclearization. There's no timetable. There is no clear pre- uh, you know pledge. To permanently halt the testing. I mean, there's nothing there. I don't. I don't know the now, sourcing. At least they're talk, talking with one another. But I mean, damn. I, I don't know the sourcing on this, Charlie. But right before we walked in the studio, I saw someone, uh, respectable news type, shared something that Trump had said that uh, Kim had agreed to blow up one of the missile sites, but there just wasn't time for them to actually put it in the written deal. You know, what what other sorts of things are just going to pop up? And, you know, that that's something when you think about the Iran deal and years after the fact, all of the stuff that we found uh, about the Obama administration looking the other way and granting the Iranians access to our, our financial system. I am going to be interested in a year from now. What other sorts of things are we going to find that Trump put in their side deals to to sweeten this and then think all for what? Yeah. OK, we'll, so we'll see J- JV. Let's go back to a point you made before, because it is uh, it is irresistible to compare and contrast his treatment of the Canadian prime minister with uh, the thug dictator of North Korea. I mean, it is you you could not make up a scenario in which you would have side by side the president of the United States attacking, vilifying uh, the the rather mild mannered leader of one of our closest historic allies and then sucking up to this, this, I won't even say authoritarian, this totalitarian monster. What, what, what is, do you have any insight into this man's fascination with the dictator 
and his contempt for democratically elected Western leaders. Because I don't know how else you describe the last uh, 72 hours. So this is a continuation of uh, the Obama administration, for different reasons, but the Obama administration's uh, obsession with punishing America's friends and rewarding America's enemies. And so this is now two consecutive administrations where this has been our main geopolitical outlook. And now the Obama administration did it out of cravenness. Trump does it out of God knows what. I mean, who who, who can say? Uh, there will be a price for this. I mean, this, oh, you yeah. cannot you cannot go nearly. You know, if if Trump wins re-election, that will be sixteen years. That is nearly a generation where the way you view strategic alliances and strategic challenges is backwards. Uh, this is this is you know Charles Krauthammer wrote that decline is a choice and this is part of it. This is, I mean, statecraft is a real thing and I think you can oversell what can actually be done by it because facts on the ground matter. Uh, but it does matter in the you know, the, the weak horse and the strong horse, right? I mean, Bin Laden was right about that. Uh, it it makes America look tremendously weak. Obama did that. And tremendously unreliable. And tremendously unreliable. And so in a world where we have one hyperpower, which means that you have all sorts of shifting alliances and and the reorganization of the geopolitical deck, uh, this tells people that being on America's side is not especially helpful. America is not a reliable partner, but that if you are willing to buck America, you can get goodies from us. It is, is, I mean, for, for... People on the right seem to understand this when it comes to illegal immigration, right? They say, well, it's a moral hazard. you got to you know, remove the moral hazard. This is what our foreign policy is right now. Right now, our foreign policy is a moral hazard. And this, it amazes me that the, the, the Trumpkins can see that uh, correctly, I would, I would say, on the question of illegal immigration, but are incapable of seeing it when it comes to, to foreign policy, at which point they mm-hmm. shift and say, well, look, you got to talk with people. What, do you, do you not want to talk with people? And, and the answer is no. Sometimes you don't want to talk with people. Sometimes well, you actually have to establish that there is a price to be paid for acting against American interests. You would talk to people if, if you actually have something substantive to negotiate. And I'm, I'm reminded again how Donald Trump is just not a very good negotiator. But the other – I got a sense – this is what you think. I, I got a sense that, that there was a turning point at the G7 summit in terms of the Western leaders who had been trying to appease Donald Trump. And you know they, they'd gone out of their way. OK, if we, if we reason with him, if we cajole him, if we suck up to him, you know maybe we'll get a rational response. And and as he flew away, you know tweeting that he's not even going to – sign of the communique blowing up uh, decades of of the, of the world order, you got the real sense that the, the European leaders are looking at one another and going, what do we do next with this guy? Okay, we, we, we tried nice guy. We tried the, you know, we, we, we tried the, the soft soap, but it doesn't work. And, and there, I, I saw a headline in the Washington Post, what, what if appeasing Donald Trump doesn't work? And I get the sense that that's what's going on, that, that what they're, they're thinking about in foreign ministries all throughout the West uh, this week. Well, don't forget, these people all have internal political considerations as well. And to the extent that Donald Trump becomes a convenient punching bag in other countries, in other free countries, and opposing, opposing American interests becomes a popular thing to do. America's life on the world stage becomes harder and not easier. This is the flip side of the, all of the America First stuff, right? And 
you know, at some point you treat your friends with enough contempt that the electorates in Germany and in England and in Canada uh, are going to really deputize their elected leaders to push back against American interests. And I think that is probably where we are heading. Okay, my, my favorite quote of the day, and bear with me, because I know where you're going to react when I first start on this. By the way, the, the very best reaction uh, to what happened this weekend was Ted Cruz's comment. Did you see this, what Ted Cruz had to say? They asked him about Peter Navarro saying that there was, you know, there's a special place in hell for people who, I don't know, you know, don't, don't pull the forelock to the president. And what Cruz said was, I'm pretty sure that circles of hell are not reserved for Canadians proposing retaliatory tariffs. <laughs> I love it when Ted Cruz grows a spine. It reminds me of the uh, the 2010 Ted Cruz that we all know and liked. Uh, but uh, but doesn't that, yeah? But doesn't th- this is this is also one of these living in the alternative reality comedy show where where our our worst enemy is a Canadian who has committed the crime of talking about tariffs. This this Charlie, I was tweeting about this. This is basically Michael Moore's only good movie, Canadian Bacon, come to life. You know, surrender pronto or we'll level Toronto and basically drumming up a, a cold war against Canada. But I, I, I always think back to, I, I'm not one for memorizing uh, quotes, but this this is one and I'm going to pull it up here because I, uh, I, I, I just always has stuck with me. And it was JFK's address to the Canadian Parliament in 1961. And he closed with saying, geography has made us neighbors. History has made us friends. Economics has made us partners. And necessity has made us allies. Those who God has so joined together, let no man put asunder. Well, that no man putting it asunder is President Trump because our, is, 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 is he treating Canada like a friend? No. Is he uh, working um, with them on economics in what I would say is an honest way? No, not really. And uh, necessity has made us allies. I mean, I guess we'll see with the G7. I mean, we've always had minor disputes with Canada, which, uh, if correct me if I'm wrong, JBL, I think is our largest trading partner partner or if if not the top one it is I believe it so. is like top 2 or 3 Somebody'll correct me if I'm wrong. But I you know maybe a decade ago Canada was dealing with this thing with beetles that were just destroying their lumber and they were trying to cut down the trees before they had all their lumber destroyed and so U.S. senators pushed for tariffs saying that they were dumping on it. You know, we just should have let them do it and hope that, you know, they would do it for us. It would have been the right yeah. thing to do economically. But, you know, now we have this stuff with milk. Is milk, you know, Haley Bird has done some reporting for us. Is milk really a national security thing? Or is, is Trump abusing, or is Trump using, <laughs> or is Trump abusing his power under Section two thirty two? I just haven't gotten over the fact that they burned down the White House. You know, I'm just, I'm just not willing to let that go. Like he squishes. And you I, know, well, this is I, the country. You know, don't don't talk to me about national security when you're talking about a country that burned the White House. I just want to amplify yeah, but, what, what Jim says here, though. This is what's important. We, we, the idea is not that you are nice to a neighbor and trading partner and ally like Canada because you want to be nice to them or because you like them, but because it is in your best interest and ultimately then in their best interest, which redounds to you to do so. This is, you know, again, this no, is all part no. of like intelligent America first is that one one tends one's allies because in the long run, it serves your intre- your own interests better. Okay, but see, that's, that's the last decade because now it's like we're nice to people who, you know, speak nicely and, and treat the president well. Um, we, we hate the people who would insult the president. You, you make nice to the president and you get any, I mean, this is the other thing is just, is, is, is the way that the foreign policy has now devolved into, 
you know, how do you treat Donald J. Trump? It's uh, uh, By the way, uh, the Daily Standard podcast today is brought to you by uh, Lending Club for decades. You know that credit cards have been telling us buy it now, pay for it later uh, with ridiculous interest rates. Now, and despite your best intentions, that interest can get out of control really fast. With Lending Club, you can consolidate your debt or pay off credit cards with one fixed monthly payment. Since 2007, Lending Club has helped millions of people regain control of their finances with affordable fixed rate personal loans. No trips to a bank, no high interest credit cards. Just go to LendingClub.com. Tell them about yourself, how much you want to borrow, pick the terms that are right for you. And if you're approved, your loan is automatically deposited into your bank account in as little as a few days. Lending Club is the number one peer-to-peer lending platform with more than $35 billion in loans issued. So if you want to find out about this, go to LendingClub.com standard. Check your rate in minutes and borrow up to $40,000. That's LendingClub.com standard. LendingClub.com standard. Um, I want to spend some more time talking about uh, tariffs, but probably another day. Anything else you gentlemen are obsessed with other than um, still basking in the glow of the Caps winning the Stanley Cup? <laughs> some of us, but not others. I'm I'm wearing my uh, championship uh, shirt right now and probably will head down, at least see the, the parade from a distance. Uh, but JBL, of course, you know, has... Is, is a hockey hater and has you know, has, has work to do. He's got a, he's got a website to run. I'm a hockey hater and I'm a DC hater. And as I was driving in, I saw all these police horses, and I thought these idiot fans aren't even going to go and punch any police horses, are they? <laughs> these people don't deserve a championship. Well, but they haven't had they haven't had enough championships to develop a tradition. <laughs> You know, <laughs> other cities know that, you know, you pull down lampposts, you, you, you punch the horses, you do things. Destroy the Ritz Carlton. It's like, how do we behave? What do we do? We, we don't we don't recognize this feeling. Well, we're so used to protesting, you know, kind of like political PCU, the politically correct university movie. We're not going to protest. We're going to actually celebrate for once. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow and we'll do this all over again. <laughs>